If you have a brain, you have bias. So let's just own it. Some biases help us by simplifying our decision-making process. Other biases hold us back by impacting who gets hired and promoted, and even who we approach to be our friends. Welcome to Breaking the Bias, a podcast where we interview impact makers who are breaking the bias when it comes to inclusion and equity. Because sharing our stories is how real belonging happens. You're telling me that people (laughs) who play disabled characters in movies are not necessarily disabled? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very common thing, which hopefully now starting to be seen as as bad as you know as it really is um you know if we look back in history and we look back at you know captain hook and the hunchback of notre dame uh, we'd look at both obviously non-disabled people playing disabled characters but also these terrible caricatures and these stereotypes and the way that disabled people have been painted in in the media Um, and the media is such a powerful platform you know it's really Uh, had a say in the way that society treats disabled people and the way that the law sees us even. Today, Consciously Unbiased founder Ashish Kaushal virtually sits down with Keely Catwells, founder and CEO of C-Talent, an agency that represents high-profile deaf and disabled artists, athletes, and influencers. They talk about Keely's take on how she lost her job as an actor because of Hollywood's ableism, not because of her disability, why representation matters both in front of and behind the camera, Keeley's mission to help normalize people with disabilities, the largest minority group in the world, and create stars who just happen to be disabled. How we can build belonging for people with disabilities by recognizing the diversity of their lived experiences, and much more. Now on to their conversation. BTWF Advisory Board member, you're part of that organization. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So uh, Born This Way Foundation is a foundation that was started by Lady Gaga and her mom, Cynthia. Um, And it's an amazing foundation, which I've only just recently actually um, become a advisory board member of. And it's really promoting kindness and how kindness and small acts of kindness can change the world. And how, you know, kindness doesn't have to be a big grand gesture or cost a lot of money. You know, kindness can be small things every day and it can really promote, you know, fantastic things for mental health and um, and also just inclusion because kindness doesn't discriminate. It's something that everyone can do all the time. So it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful organization to be a part of. I love it. So you guys are working on focusing on sort of making kindness contagious. Yes. Oh, I like that. May have to steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then can you share, so when you started your organization, can you, I think it was probably stemmed in the fact that you did acting first, right? And can you tell me about how you got into acting and how your health diagnosis led you to founding C-Talent? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, my performer life seems so long ago. Um, it was a really interesting journey. So I was actually training to be a dancer um, when I was around 16 years old. It's been something that was something that I wanted to do my entire life. And uh, when I got into this big prestigious dance college, I fell sick within just a couple of weeks of being there. And then months later had to leave and was hospitalized for a very, very long time. And then kind of cut a long story short, became disabled. And from that, I really wanted to find a way that I could stay within the entertainment industry So I kind of briefly looked at acting as an option while simultaneously representing my friends who were still in dance college. So I was kind of learning the ropes of being a talent agent while kind of performing on the side as well. And uh, I came up to Los Angeles where I live now and I lost a job, uh, an acting job. 
And I used to say I lost that job because of my disability, but mm. I now say I lost that job because of Hollywood's ableism, not because of my disability. And, and that's really what, um, what kind of initiated Sea Talent and why I started Sea Talent, um, which because I, I just noticed the lack of representation, disability representation, the lack of education around disability and the lack of accessibility. Everyone around me was saying, you know, diversity is this seat at the table. But I was saying, what if we don't have access to the door to get to that table? So that's kind of really how how my new career and my new life kind of started. So wait, you're blowing my mind. You're telling me that people <laughs> who play disabled characters in movies are not necessarily disabled? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very common thing, which hopefully now is starting to be seen as, as bad as you know, as it really is, um, you know, if we look back in history and we look back at, you know, Captain Hook and the Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, we'd look at both obviously non-disabled people playing disabled characters, but also these terrible caricatures and these stereotypes and the way that disabled people have been painted in, in the media. Um, and the media is such a powerful platform. You know, it's really uh, had a say in the way that society treats disabled people and the way that the law sees us even. Um, so, yes, it's still a massive problem and we are just trying to educate people and, you know, saying that lived experience is so important and stop discriminating against, you know, one of the most underrepresented and underserved communities, which is actually the largest minority in the world. Oh, absolutely. And we also have to stop typecasting those roles, right? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. And we have to also put disabled people in non-disabled specific roles too because we have to normalize disabled people being experts in things beyond just disability you know we want to see disabled lawyers disabled doctors um just best friends the girl next door because disability isn't always the most interesting thing about us although for some reason the media thinks it is yeah, that's a good point we're missing out on talent and probably some of the world's greatest creations if you think about it because one of the best scientists ever to live was Stephen Hawking, who is who is in a wheelchair, right? And if we didn't let him be a scientist, then we probably wouldn't have all these discoveries about space. Yep, absolutely. People, uh, I actually, I mentioned that to someone the other day and they go, oh, Stephen Hawking was disabled? And I was just there like, oh gosh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah, we have, to we have to let people be what they're good at and not define them based on whether they can have some physical trait that you're expecting of them, you know? Absolutely. Exactly. So what are some of the biggest stories you think are missing in Hollywood? You know, as we talk about typecasting. Gosh, that's such a great question. And, you know, one, I see stories every day. I represent some incredible clients and they have created and written such wonderful works that we've been, you know, trying to get into studios and production companies to get made. And a lot of those stories you know, some of them are very disability specific because I think there's two sides to it. On one side, yes, we are missing such valuable stories about the disabled community. We have such individual and such interesting lived experience and the, the way that we go about the world because it wasn't designed for us. And Independence Day and the ADA, um, obviously we've had Crip Camp, which I think was a big eye-opener for, for many people and many production companies uh, and the media and the studios as well. Um, but then we have the other side to it, which I kind of briefly mentioned is the stories that just anyone and everyone can relate to. The stories about love, the stories about 
achieving great things and not despite disability, but maybe sometimes because of it, or maybe just it happens to be a part of someone's life and it's not the main focus. So I think the stories that we really need to kind of turn the camera on are the ones that where disability is just incidental and also the the wonderful stories about disability that we've missed. Yeah. In our culture. Yeah. And that's the thing, it's good from a motivational standpoint. I always say you have to be able to see it to be it, right? And so if we start putting characters who are heroes almost in, in these films for disabled people, it gives them sort of the ability to see themselves in that in that manner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because we've had this such a massive problem with uh, inspiration porn, which is, for those who don't know, it's where disabled people are seen as inspirational for just doing very ordinary, mundane things. Like uh, there was a movie, um, I won't name the name, but there was a movie where a child got a trophy for just going to school. And it's that type of story that's very damaging because it, it tells society that, you know, disability is... Um, you know, every disabled person should be celebrated just for getting up because they're different. And, you know, so we've got to we've got to start looking at heroes, disabled heroes who do genuinely incredible things. And there are so many of them. So speaking of seeing it to be it um, or to be inspired to do it, can you name one film that you like that presents disabled people in a positive light? Yes. So just as of recently, I saw Luca. I was so surprised The Disney, uh, is it Disney or Pix? Disney, I think. Disney's Luca. And uh, it's not about disability at all, but there's a character in it. He's a very prominent main character in it. Uh, he's a fisherman and he happens to not have an arm. One of his arms, he's, a, I think, a congenital, congenital amputee. And one of the characters halfway through the movie goes, oh, how did you lose your arm? And instead of saying, oh, it was eaten by a sea monster, he just says, I was just born like this. And I was just like crying with happiness of like, thank you, Disney, finally, for showing us such a great representation of what, you know, disability should look like. And it's, um, it was great. It was, uh, yeah, it was really positive. And then also I've noticed through some, some other scenes too, they had kind of just incidental disabled people throughout the throughout the movie uh, you know in one scene there just happened to be someone who used a wheelchair and then in another there was a a boy with a leg brace and it had nothing to do with the storyline they were just there it was wonderful I love it you know it's funny um two years ago I spoke or two and a half years ago I spoke at Medtronic at a supplier forum and I talked about um the film oh Rain Man so the key point of the discussion was us as managers and organizations, right? We tend to, and this is a management one one thing that we all, I think, fail on is we tend to focus on the people and the things that they can't do rather than motivating and, and leveraging the things they can do well, right? And so when we talked about disabled people, I said, you know, I say you gain, as a person, you gain something, you lose something. And whenever that happens, it's us, our responsibility is to manage that superpower and put them in the right spots to be successful, right? And so rather than focusing on the disability, let's focus on the strengths of the, of the talent that people have. And I think yeah. that will get more productivity out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And as someone um, asked me once, they were like, you know, how, where did you learn to, to be an entrepreneur? And, you know, how did you learn business? And because I never went to school for that, never did any training, barely graduated high school. And I said, I genuinely think it's because of the way that I've learned to navigate the world because of my disability. You know, you have the similar traits, like an entrepreneur and a disabled person have very similar traits. You have to have 
determination, the the ability to adapt quickly. Uh, yeah, right. So all of these skills line up so perfectly. And I think employers miss that so much, you know, when they see disabled or deaf or hard of hearing on a resume, they automatically get scared or they they don't look at it as a benefit. But if they look at the skills that they gain from that, um, it's absolutely a benefit. Definitely. How is your studio, um, Zeta Studios, revolutionizing accessibility? So I truly believe that if you create a accessible space, it will shift and lift oppression and change the culture within that space. Um, I think that oftentimes we we talk about creating a company culture or we talk about creating a uh, an inclusive environment, but sometimes we just miss the the very basic parts of accessibility. What if people don't all have the same entrance? You know, what if people feel excluded because they can't sit at one of the lunch tables? Or, you know, I think a physical space has so much impact in that. So um, Zeta Studios is is really kind of revolutionizing what accessibility looks like and what an inclusive environment looks like. So with by creating a space that's designed with everybody in mind, then we can start to have this location that influences everything that's made within it and, and hopefully beyond. I love it. So you're taking on inclusion in a way that most people aren't thinking about it because they think about inclusion through like race, color, sexual orientation, but they haven't thought about the physical inclusion, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think people miss the, uh, it's, it's called the social model of disability, which means that we're not disabled by our impairments. We're disabled because of the physical barriers that are built for us by society that limit us from getting in shops, uh, buying certain homes, even getting married, as laws that say that you know disabled people can't get married because they'll lose their benefits and um so that's what really makes us disabled not our impairments oh i didn't know that that's nuts (laughs) yeah in an interview with forbes you you said that you hope to hire additional managers to your company specifically people of color how are you doing that and what are the things what are the things you're doing to increase diversity inclusion within your industry So uh, something that I said when I first uh, started to see talent was I want to have 95% of my staff disabled. I want to really take that opportunity of diversity with integrity. But something I missed was intersectionality. And when the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, happened, it was really a a big wake up call. I think, you know, for me, it was a huge, huge wake up call as well as for many uh, to look at diversity, not just at the work that I'm doing in the disability field, but at, you know, diversity goes so much further than that one minority group or that one marginalized community. Uh, so we've really made an effort to become very intersectional uh, and look at all cultures and all all minorities. That's been a big focus of ours. Interesting. So that leads us to empathy, right? Because clearly you're feeling that and thinking about that today. Yeah, so what absolutely. What does it mean to you? Yeah, I think it's trying to... to see through the lived experiences of others while still recognizing that you will never be able to experience what they've experienced. Uh, Something that my, my boyfriend actually taught me and uh, he's a, he's black. And when the, when the Black Lives Matter protests, he really kind of opened up to me about how he felt uh, generational uh, oppression and, and how that was a thing. And, you know, I, I felt so such a fool because I'm here so privileged, you know, 
living my life with no idea that that was even happening. And then you look at the education systems and this massive systemic problem that we consistently face. And, and I was just looking at it from my perspective of, oh, you know, disability, which, you know, is so important. But what about, what about Black disabled people? What about um, Asian disabled people? What about all of these other things that I just completely looked past? So I think empathy, empathy is really trying to look past your own experiences and, and get in the shoes of others while recognizing and making it very clear that you'll never be able to physically experience what they have experienced. True. And empathy also lets you find commonality in each other, right? Because mm. we yeah. all contain together. Absolutely. Yeah. The Fair Labor Standards Act is really not fair, is it? No. Can you talk to me about your fight against the statute and why? In about a year ago, um, I, I learned about the, the law called the 14C, uh, which is a law that still allows disabled people to be legally paid sub-minimum wage. And sub-minimum wage is, on average, there's around 300,000 people in America working on around $3 an hour, which is obviously criminally low. Um, there's even some people working on 70 cents an hour. And, and, it's, and it's legal. And so we're trying to eliminate the 14C and make it very clear that disabled people are worthy of getting paid the same as everybody else and that it shouldn't be, shouldn't be legally allowed to pay people sub-minimum wage. Uh, it also has a massive effect on people's mental health, the way that society views disabled people um, and beyond. You know, it's, it's, it has a domino effect onto everything. Absolutely. Well, I didn't know that. That's interesting and crazy to me. I mean, you're literally not letting people out of their plight of whatever cards they were dealt and you're pushing down and keeping them in that system. So yeah, it. absolutely. It's a 80 plus year old uh, discriminat- discriminatory statue. Uh, so it's, it's definitely well past its time and it's, it's time to get rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. Right now you're working with highly established companies in producing entertainment. Do you have plans to produce your own content and what stories do you want to tell? Yeah, that's a great question. Definitely in the future. Uh, right now, I'm so keen to to really lift the, the voices of others and and get those out there. I think there's so much amazing talent that are way better at that than I am. But in the future, I would love to produce our own content um, and especially content that we haven't seen before, like the the very special love stories, the disabled love stories, and um, and and also just ones from from our own history and our own backgrounds that haven't been told. I mean, even, even if we look back all the way back to uh, back to the Holocaust, you know, disabled people were heavily involved in that, but it's never touched on in history. So even kind of going back to history, I'd love to tell those eventually. Oh, that'd be awesome. I think that'd be super interesting. We'd probably learn a lot of things where disabled people actually helped change the world or helped fix the world. Absolutely. Know? By the way, I'm meaning to ask you this. So how did you find out about conscious and bias? You know, I think it was through a LinkedIn stalk. Uh, <laughs> I, I have, I, it's, I tend to go on like Mondays and Fridays. I'll just go on LinkedIn and just like try and look up new amazing companies doing revolutionary things and people that I would like to connect with and people that are leading the way where I can learn because I've still got so much to learn within the diversity field. So I think it was uh, on one of my Monday or Friday LinkedIn stalks. <laughs> <laughs> what did the term conscious and bias say to you when you read it first? It definitely, it, it made me think about the way that I look at, at my views. Um, I think oftentimes we, we have so much internalized uh, 
bias we have so much internalized things that sometimes maybe we're afraid to say or um and we just hold it in and that causes so much problems I've definitely seen that within the disabled community people are so scared to ask questions and rather than turning doubts into questions they'll just kind of keep those doubts between themselves and then find a way of or a reason why not to hire or fund us so to me it was definitely like making me think about what am I not saying and what questions am I not asking Mm -hmm. That definitely makes sense and inspiring. Um, I always love hearing different answers because I think people have different ways they interpret it. So it's amazing to see and shows how we all have to be less biased, you know? Yeah. Um, we had started this thing called microprogressions and it's ways to be positive, sort of help make create a more inclusive environment and, and turn them into daily habits. So what's one microprogression that you think people can do to help create a better base of belonging for people with disabilities? Accept access requirements as an ultimatum, not an option. Just offer access requirements and it will, and they're not a negative, they're not going to cost you a whole load of money, just do it. Uh, So don't reply to people frustratingly or, you know, in a grumpy manner when they ask for captions or they ask for an ASL interpreter, just accept it. I love it. It's great. This is amazing. Thank you so much for doing this podcast with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. You can learn more about our amazing guest and get show notes at consciouslyunbiased.com slash listen. And we want to hear from you. Please subscribe and rate Breaking the Bias on iTunes and Spotify. And drop us a note to let us know if there's a topic that you'd really want to hear about or a guest that you'd love to see on the show. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Bias.